0: You all had a good time with family and friends, or maybe by yourself, and ate way too much. Amen? Like I said, in Sunday school, you all set your scales back at least 10 pounds. <laughs> and if you're like most of us, we don't even dare step on them this time of year. <clears throat> Amen. Joshua chapter 8, when you find your place, and if you're able, would you stand? We're going to read some scripture here this morning. I'm preaching through the book of Joshua. It's been a help, it's been refreshing to me, amen. and uh, I'm not so sure about y'all, maybe uh, the Lord knows, amen, but it sure has helped me to see the Scripture a little bit better. Amen. And after all, when you read the Bible, and when you study the Bible, and when you hear preaching, the main thing is that you can understand it. Yes, sir. What good is any kind of outline or alliteration or, or illustration if you don't understand it? So I'm thankful we have a simple Bible God wrote uh, the King James Bible, and it's said to be in a fourth and fifth grade education, and that's kind of where I can get a hold of it. Amen. (laughs) Joshua chapter 8, let's uh, begin in verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into the hand of the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Uh, lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose about thirty thousand mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. You well, mean business now, amen. Now we say that because in Joshua chapter 7 was it was, Ai whipped the fire out and they only sent a few people. Verse 4, and the Bible says, And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie and wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be ye all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass when they come out against us as at the first that we will flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say, They flee before us at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be when ye have taken the city that ye shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord shall you do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them forth and they went to lie in ambush. And a boat between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged that night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people and went up he and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched it on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, even all the hosts that was on the north of the city, and their liars in wait on the west of the city, Joshua went on that uh, night in the midst of the valley. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at a time appointed before the plain, but he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city." And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them, and they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel, and they left the city open and pursued after Israel." And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it in thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And the ambush arose quickly out of the place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. And they entered into, into the city, and took it, and hasted, and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And on the other issued out of the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they smote them, so they let none of them that remain escape. And the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass, when Israel made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness wherein they chased, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both the men and women, were twelve thousand, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out that spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai only of the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai and made it in a heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide. And as the sun, as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that he should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise there on a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. Now what a great passage. Victory in AI, been a long time coming, hasn't it? Well, it's good to have uh, the Forbush family with us. My friend, Brother Larry, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The last time we were together around the book of Joshua, we dealt with sin in the camp. It's been about three or four weeks or so from there. And uh, as Achan had to have it now, you remember the story, Achan, he had to have it now. He couldn't wait. He couldn't wait at all. He had to disobey the commandment of the Lord, and it not only affected him, it affected his family. It affected everything he had. And it affected the entire nation of Israel. So we preached a while about sin in the camp and what that does, uh, and we relate it spiritually to a child of God. And that was was, uh, the Achan that thought uh, that he could get away with it. But you know, the Bible says over there in Numbers chapter 23, verse 32 be sure your sin will find you out. And isn't that the truth, Christian? Be sure your sin. We'll find you out. You say, which sin are you talking about? I have no idea. The Holy Spirit knows a whole lot better than I do. Amen. <laughs> Nevertheless, Joshua has put away the sin. Now we're in chapter 8. He's put the sin away. He's dealt with the sin, and that's the right thing to do as a Christian. If there's sin in your life, you ought to deal with it. Amen. No no use, well, you know, I'm saved, and I'm on my way to heaven, so, well, you know, I'm, at least I'm going to just deal with the sin, get it over with, and whatever falls out because of it, take it like a man or take it like a woman or whatever you are, amen, and just deal with it. And Joshua dealt with a sin. And uh, after Joshua deals with a sin, I want you to see here in this chapter, you know what happens? This passage starts off and the Lord basically comes out and says, Look, I've given you the victory. That's what he says. And what I see here in chapter 8 is the pathway to victory. The pathway to victory. The Lord promised Joshua that he'd have the victory in in, in the city of Ai. And you know what he had to do to get the victory? He had to stay on the road that the Lord wanted him on. You see what I mean? He had to do exactly what God told him to If he wants the victory, then you do what I tell you. If you want the victory, you set up the ambushment. If you want the victory, you wait and you draw him out of the city. You see what I mean? You just do what God said. He's promised you the victory. So I'd like to try to preach a, a, a message that kind of parallels that as we approach this chapter. I want you to remember, Christian, that if you're here today and you're saved, you have been promised the victory. When you got saved, uh, think back to the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You were delivered from the penalty of sin. Amen? You were delivered from hell. What a blessing that is. You are given the victory over hell. And you know, not only that, but now that you have been saved, you've been given the victory over sin if you want it. That's why He's delivered you from such a present evil world, Galatians chapter 1, 4, that you and I live in. And then, of course, as you know, one day when we're called up out of here, you'll be delivered forevermore from the presence of sin. Now, I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that. Forever delivered from the presence of sin. Guys, think about it for just about 10 seconds and then just let it drop. Imagine being in a place where you never again have to check your own thoughts. That's a good place, ain't it? See, right now, as a child of God, you need to check your thoughts. You, need to, you always need to be in control of what you're thinking. You only need to be in control of what you're saying. Imagine being in a place where you don't have to check your thoughts. You don't have to check what you say. I mean, talk about joy unspeakable and full of glory. You can't even get around certain family members without checking what you say half the time. I'll tell you what, heaven's going to be a wonderful place, isn't it? You'll never have to worry about what you think. You'll never have to worry about what you say. You'll never have to worry about how you feel because you'll not only have the mind of Christ, you'll have a perfect body like Jesus Christ and you'll be forever delivered from the presence of sin. Now listen, Christian, you have been given the victory the moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but as it is so apropos for people to do and Christians to do, in these last days, they're getting off the right road. And they're getting on the road that leads to defeat. Look, if you've suffered defeat in your Christian life, I'm not here to beat you up, but I'm telling you what, the Lord Jesus Christ has promised you the victory, and this isn't a name it and claim it sermon either. I think you'll see that in a minute. You've been given the victory, but as Lester Roloff said, why he said this back in the 60s and 70s, he said, why Christians don't have the victory these days is because you don't want the victory. (laughs) That's a difficult thing to process, isn't it? I don't know about you, I want the victory. I'd like to preach a little bit about the road to victory this morning. You and I have been given the victory. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Not only victorious, but we're conquerors. Conquerors. We don't sit around, we go and we conquer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not a physical, physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. First John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You and I have been given the victory when we trusted Christ as our Savior. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ that gave us victory over hell. It's Jesus Christ who gave us victory over sin. And it's Jesus Christ who will one day take us home to be forever with Him. I'm telling you, what, that's the victory I'm talking about. Even in death. Even in death, as terrible a subject as it is, even in death, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians what is 15 and verse fifty-five? "O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You've been given the victory even in death. What a blessing that is. So today I'm going to try to preach just a little bit through this chapter on the road to victory because if there's one thing, like I said, Christians are doing in 2023 is they're stopping on that road and they're getting off the road. Let me tell you what the old preacher said like this, the right road leads out at the right path. The right road leads out at the right place. Now listen, the right road is not the favored road. The right road is not the easy road. The right road is not the road that everybody wants to be on, amen? But the right road always leads out at the right place, and that right road is a victorious road. But notice with me in this passage this morning, I want to preach through the chapter. As I tried to figure out what to preach, it comes one more time again, and I say this, I have no idea what the people of God need say, so what do you do? I submit myself to that book, and that's why we preach through a book of the Bible, because I'm not a pope. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Half the time and 99% of the time, I don't even have enough sense to lead my own life. So I have to be just like you, and I have to trust that book, that what God tells me to preach is what exactly what you'll need. And I believe we need to hear about this road to victory this morning. Now I want you to notice here, first of all, in verse 1, this road to victory, it's paved with fear. Bible says here in verse 1, Joshua chapter 8 verse 1, the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not. You think he was a little bit worked up? I think he was. I mean, he just burned out a whole family in Israel. Joshua chapter 7, if you read the previous chapter, I mean, it was no county fair, amen? It was roasty toasty and there's a pile of stones and I would guess that the the smoke is still smoldering a little bit from that pile of stones that they burned up Achan's family with, and Achan, and everything he ever owned. And they had just suffered a defeat in the previous chapter, and uh, while they had a miraculous victory in Jericho, they suffered a terrible defeat against Ai, and now the Lord says, look, you dealt with sin, you did it the right way, I I know it hurts, I know you're sad, I know you're upset, but fear not! I'm telling you this morning, the road to victory is paved with fear. Every one of you in here today is fearful about something. Can I just encourage you? Fear not. Fear not. You know why people are afraid these days? They're afraid of the fear of man. Some people are afraid of man. You say, not me. uh, I'm rough and I'm tough. I'm like John Wayne. I'm not afraid of nobody. Well, give it time. (laughs) There's always a bigger cowboy than you. Amen. (laughs) And if you run your mouth long enough, you'll figure it out sooner. (laughs) He said, well, some people are afraid. They're fearful on this road of life because of the fear of man. The Bible says, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. You see that? The fear of man bringeth a snare. When you start getting afraid of men rather than God, you start getting in a mess. So God speaks to Joshua. He says, fear not. I've given you this victory. This is what you've got to do. You've got to stay on the road that I need you on. People are afraid of the fear of man. You know what people are also afraid of? For the fear of mistakes. The fear of mistakes. I see this, uh, I, I do a little bit of substitute teaching. I'm not the real deal. I'm just kind of like the substitute deal. Because when the substitute teacher is in the classroom, ain't a whole lot of learning getting done, amen? It's usually a free day, amen? Some of y'all shaking your head, you're like, oh, that's right. You know, and, and the substitute doesn't know half the rules. He do not know half the name. So some days it's just like organized chaos. But you know what some of these kids are afraid of? They're afraid of making a mistake so they don't even try. What's wrong with this generation that we're so afraid of making a mistake that we don't even try? People are afraid of the fear of man. It's the fear of mistakes. And you know what? The Bible says a just man, uh, says a wise man, he falls seven times and he gets back up. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You've got to get back up. I'm trying to encourage you this morning to fear not. Stay on the right road, the road to victory. You've been given the victory through Jesus Christ. People are afraid of the fear of man, the fear of mistakes. How about this? The fear of messes. Any of y'all ever made any messes in your life? Oh, not me, preacher. Hang on. (laughs) This is the time of year a lot of messes get made, especially spending more time around family. A lot of messes happen around family, don't they? Okay, I'll say it even if nobody will agree. The Bible says, Paul says over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are ahead. You say, Ah, oh, preacher, I made a mess. All right, leave it behind. Let the past be the past and go on. Go on for Jesus Christ. You say, I oh, know, but I made a mess and I made a mistake and I've been afraid of some men. Well, I'll tell you what, just let that stuff go and just put it in the past, put it in the rearview mirror, amen. Get on the right road and stay on the right road and I just want to encourage you, fear not. That road to victory is paved with fear. You say, well, how in the world am I going to deal with fear? Well, the Bible says, Psalm 56, 3, David, he's a pretty good old boy, wasn't he? Loved the Lord with all his heart. He said this, What time I'm afraid, I will post on Facebook. I mean, (laughs) he says, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Now, some of you got mad because I said, said the F word, Facebook. That's the Christian swear word. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. You see how that thing just dropped like it was like 30 degrees out or something? Well, let me tell you what the road to victory is paid with fear. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not. I'm not waxing elephants. I'm not trying to be some kind of order here. I'm telling you this is real life, and there's a lot that I want to say. But I pray that's what the Lord wants me to say. And the road to victory is paid with fear. But not only this. I want you to look here. It requires fellowship. It requires fellowship. In verse one, notice what the Lord tells Joshua. He says, "Take all the people of war." with thee. Now that's some good advice Especially first of all because it's coming from the Lord and in the previous chapter they just took a few people and they got their tails kicked they come off that victory from Jericho and it's almost like they thought they were responsible for the victory. You ever been there in your Christian life you go in a spell and you get some victory over this or that and the other and next thing you're flying pretty high and next thing you know you're dragging the bottom because you didn't take all your resources with you now, I'm telling you this morning, it's going to take some fellowship. First of all, you need to be in fellowship with the Lord. On the road to victory, you need to be in fellowship with the Lord. Amen. I know we should have to preach that, but that's what we need in 2023. We don't need a bigger church building. We don't need a bigger offering. But if you didn't give yours, hit the box on the way out. Amen. We don't need more programs. That was funny. You can laugh. We don't need all this, that, and the other. You and I need to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ because that is the only way we know exactly what we should be doing. You need to be in fellowship with the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Are you in fellowship this morning? I hope you are. But you know what? Let me encourage you this. You also need to be in fellowship with the brethren. You need to be in fellowship with the brethren. Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now look, I'm not talking about that one-off Christian brother or sister who's just, well, let's just say they're pretty difficult. I'm not talking about the one-off, and of course we use the exceptions to prove the rule, right? But if you are right with the Lord, and if you're in fellowship with the Lord, can I tell you what? For the most part, you'll be in fellowship one with another. If you're constantly having trouble with this brother and that brother and this sister and that sister, I'm going to say this. You probably got trouble with the Lord too." And that Bible says in First John chapter one verse seven, I'll read it again. He says, "But if we walk in the light of season light, we have fellowship one with another. You know how I know? A church is uh, clicking along pretty good with the Lord? It gets along with its people. It gets along with one another. Amen. Sheep, uh, generally in a pasture, sheep are pretty docile. Now you get some goats in there and they start butting everybody around. So you got to take the goats and you got to butt them out the pasture until they learn to either trim their horns or behave. Amen. Talking about fellowship here. You ever think about that passage in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3? This isn't too much Bible for you this morning, is it? I've only run a dozen scripture. i got about two dozen more to go. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's a good verse for marriage. It sure is, ain't it? (laughs) I mean, when you and the missus are like that, I mean, it's sweet. But when you ain't, it ain't. It's bad. Can two walk together except they be agreed? You need fellowship. Bible says over there in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. You need to have some fellowship with the brethren. You know why, why you need to come to church? Well, you know the preacher, he's got a mighty big eagle, and you got to. No, it has nothing to do with it, man. I tell you what, if nobody came, I'd preach to pews, and if they didn't come long enough, I'd shut this place off and I'd go back on the street because that's where I started. I started on the street. And I preached on the street for 16 years before I ever got a pulpit to preach at. But you need one another. See, in these last days, we're, we're independent. We're independent. Home of the free, home of the brave. We are independent. And you know what? Christians are independent of their own independence. So at the time that you find that you need help, you see it as a sign of weakness. The Bible says two are better than one. When you go out witnessing, just in case you want to, you can. <laughs> just throwing that out there. But when you go out there witnessing, you're supposed to go two by two, right? And you just thought that was a song about the ants go marching, right? No, when you go out and witness for the Lord in town, and you go knock on people's doors, I know half of them won't open. I'd go anyways. You go two by two. Amen. That's good preaching. Amen. Even if I'm a lousy preacher, that's still good preaching. Two are better than one for they have a good reward for their labor. You say, why? Because if you don't want to go, maybe your brother will want to go, and he'll encourage you to go. You need one another in this day and age. I know you don't think you do. I know you think you're tough. I know many of you think that you got it all worked out and whipped out and I don't need nobody and I'm, I'm my own man. Okay, be your own man, but you need the fellowship of the brethren to stay on the right road. You fellowship of the Lord, fellowship of the brethren. Here's an interesting thing over there in Judges chapter 1, verse 3. That book opens up you know what happens? That book opens up, book of Judges, and you got Judah. And they have to go to battle. They have to drive off some of the enemies that the Lord had left in the land. You know what Judah does? He says, will you come help me? I need some help. I wonder when was the last time you called your brother or your sister and said, I, I need some help. I got some, I got some spiritual enemies in my lot. <laughs> I need them taken out. And you know what? I sure have been doing the best I can, but they, they're not moving very well. I just made this whole Bible things right, and could, could you pray for me on this? See what I mean? Judah got together with Simeon, and they whipped them Canaanites right off line. Judah chapter 1. We'll go read it this afternoon. He had to humble himself to ask his brother for help. Judah was the biggest biggest tribe at that time. God had already blessed Judah tremendously, over 600,000, so forth and so on. And Judah had to say, you know what, Simeon? You're one of the smaller tribes, if you remember. They're one of the smaller tribes, but will you come help me? Something. Think about that. I bet you it was an encouragement to the little Simeon. They go, man, we ain't much, but we got some snipers. Yeah, we'll go help them. (laughs) We'll hit them from rocks from fifty yards out. And he helped his brother, and they went and whipped the Canaanites. You need fellowship. You need the brethren. Now, look, if they turn tail and they compromise and they don't want to do right, you don't need that type of brother, okay? I get that. You understand that. But I'm just saying, in these last days, we are so independent. We don't want nothing to do with nobody. Amen? Leave me on my 40 acres and don't don't come on my property. I'll shoot you. (laughs) That's what you all think. We're very materialistic. But the road to victory, it's you need to be in fellowship with the brethren. You need to realize on the road to victory that it's a very fulfilling road. You say, Yeah, I might want to hear a little bit about this. Look at verse 2. It's a fulfilling road. Verse number 2. Got a long way to go. We might have to pick this one up tonight. The Bible says in verse 2 And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourself, lay thee in ambush for the city. You see that thing? You say, What's fulfilling about it? They finally got rewarded. That first city, Jericho, you know what the Lord said? Don't touch it. You kill everything, boy, girl, mamma, papa, cat, dog, kill them all. Amen? And everything, by the way, that's worth anything at all, gold, silver, brass, it's mine. That's what the Lord said. How terrible the Lord is for saying something belongs to Him. <laughs> I know, right? And so he gets everything. That's why when Achan took it, he got in trouble because it belonged to the Lord. He stole from God. But now, notice there's nine more cities to go. There's ten cities in all. Amen. We're Gentiles. We understand the number ten. There's nine cities left, and every city they come to, you know what the Lord says? He takes you on. Take I'm telling you, the road to victory is a fulfilling road. There's a promise, a future reward. You've got to keep that in mind you got to realize the next step on the calendar here is the rapture of the church. And he could blow that horn at any minute. And and the next thing, Lord, is we'll be standing before the Lord of the judgment seat of Christ. Are you going to get rewarded? Or are you going to be like, yeah, you know what, hey, this is the right road, and the reward's just up a little bit, and up, you know what? (laughs) Boy, it sure is tough going over there. sure is tough living like that. Yeah, it's sure tough here and preaching like that sometimes goes against, my, uh, goes against my dignity, you know. They offend me when he preaches. I, I offend myself when I preach. Get used to it, amen. <laughs> but uh, it's a fulfilling road. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Jericho is the only city where the Lord said, hands off. Don't take, it belongs to me, and Achan messed the thing up. If he could just have waited one more city, he could have had all his heart's desire. But he had to have it now. But let me remind you the road to victory is a fulfilling road. Can I remind you and encourage you that one day you stay on the right road You stay faithful to Jesus Christ and you'll have rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Sabi, yeah, but you don't know what happened to my marriage. I'm not worried about your marriage. Well, you don't know what happened to the... job. I'm not worried about that. Can you stay faithful to Jesus Christ? Can you stay on the right road? Can you do what you know is right to do? Then you're going to get rewarded for it. It's a fulfilling road. And that's what the Lord tells Joshua. Not only that, i got to keep moving. Verse number 3, I want you to see this road. It requires... A forward movement. It requires a forward movement. Bible says in verse 3, So Joshua arose. You say, uh, That don't mean much. sure means a lot to me. The Lord told him what to do, and Joshua got after it. Amen. How many times have you and I been reading our Bible and have been hearing preaching and God would speak to our hearts. The Holy Spirit of God would speak to us and say, Hey, that area in your life, I want you to fix that. And we just sit. We do nothing. You say, well, (laughs) yeah, preacher, uh, you don't know what you're talking about anyways. (laughs) Well, Joshua heard what God told him to do, and here in verse 3, he got after it as a forward movement. He arose, and you see in that chapter, that thing chronicles him being obedient to what God said. I'm telling you, the road to victory is a forward movement, forward movement. You know who moved forward in the Bible? Remember old Moses there? He's leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt there, and a crazy thing, and they're coming out with a high hand, and, and you know the Bible says that the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites spoiled the Egyptians. I mean, they're giving them everything. Here you go, take food, have, you know, burger, fries, supersize, and all the rest, and here have a, a million bucks on the way out, make it two. You know, you're a Jew, you probably need three or four, right? And so they spoil the Egyptians on the way out, and they get right to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is between them and where they need to be, and that's what the Lord told them to be. And all of a sudden, they look back, and the Egyptians are right on their tail. You know what the Lord says? Moses starts squalling and bawling to the Lord, and the Lord says, What are you crying to me for? He says, Go forward. Go forward. (laughs) And I'm thinking, Okay, Lord, uh, I know you know everything, but there's this thing called the Red Sea. He's like, Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to take care of that for you. But you got to keep going. A lot of times Christian in the Christian life on the road to victory, you get right up to the brink of the Red Sea and you stop. And you got to keep going forward. Well, you know, I really don't want to get my tootsies in the water. That water's a little cold there. But you, what you forget is by the time you put your foot into that water, God will take that water and he'll move it back and you can take another step. You got to keep moving forward. The Christian life, the road to victory is contained with forward movement. Remember, old Elijah, he's out there and he's, He's all depressed. I know none of y'all have never been depressed before, amen? He's depressed. He, he had uh, just turned uh, what is it, a, a, non, a, a, prophet, uh, a bunch of prophets of Baal into a nonprofit organization on Mount Carmel there. He killed at least 450. It might even have killed 850. Depends how you read that thing. And nothing happened in Israel after that, and he's depressed, and he's frustrated. You ever been there in your Christian life? It didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And you did everything that you knew how. You did your best. And it still failed. You did everything you knew how uh, uh, intellectually. You knew, did everything you could emotionally. You did everything you could financially. You did everything you could uh, to, to control things. And it just fell apart. You know what you got to do sometimes? Just gotta go forward. You say, I don't want to go anywhere. You gotta go forward. Forward movement. Oh Elijah, he's in the cave. And uh, I don't know how you see Elijah at this place in the Bible. It's because I grew up in the 80s and I'm thinking he's looking like Obi-Wan Kenobi in this old hoodie and all that. And I, I know he's not, and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but I get this picture of him in this, this old, you know, outfit there, and he's got this hood over him. And you know what the Lord says? He says, go forth. He says, What are you doing here? Why are you standing here? You see, the Lord didn't tell him to run away from what he was supposed to be doing. He gets out to that mountain, the Lord says, Why are you here? He says, Go forth. And Christian, in the most difficult times you'll ever face, you have to learn to go forward. You can't stop. You say, Well, no one else is. Well, that's how I'm. You gotta move forward. Forward movement. The direction of the Christian life is forward. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13 let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You say, Well, I don't know about that, preacher. Let us go, therefore, unto him. You gotta go, you gotta go towards him. You can't just you, you get your canoe or your kayak, I think kayak's are the thing to, to have now these days, right? And pe- More people own kayaks than canoes, right? You put your kayak in a rifle river over where I'm at, if the water's high enough, and you get in there and you stop paddling, you're going to go a direction. It might not be the direction you want to go, though. You've got to go forward. That's the road to victory. Well, let's move on. Here in verse 4, I want you to see that the road to victory, you know what It requires. There's some requirements there. You won't like this one. I don't like it. I just pulled my pants up. Requires my fitness. (laughs) Go ahead, you can laugh. It requires my fitness. Now look at the bottom of verse 4. Notice what Joshua tells all his people. But be ye all, what's it say? Ready. Fitness. Fitness. You say you can talk about physically fit? Well, I'm not going to preach that after Thanksgiving. That might be a good message to preach, so amen. After all, 1 Timothy 4 8, bodily exercise profiteth little. Well, yeah, preacher, but it's only a little. Well, get the little you can out of it, amen. But you know, I need to be not only physically fit, but how about spiritually fit? 1 Timothy 4 7, the Bible says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Do you realize this morning that godliness requires work? You don't wake up and like, I'm godly. Most of us when we wake up, we're very ungodly. Especially until you have the, you know, the the holy water. I'm sorry, coffee. Then you're a little more godly. That's funny. But it takes work. It takes exercise. You say, what do you mean? You got to read your Bible. Well, that ain't hard. Then why don't you do it more? Gotcha. Right? You see that? Bible says, till I come give attendance to reading. You and I ought to exercise ourselves into godliness, taking time, making Bible reading a priority. You know what the greatest sins of America is? You say, oh yes, it's abortion. Baloney, it's the lack of Bible reading. You've been given a perfect book from heaven and nobody hardly reads it. Physically fit, spiritually fit, read the Bible. Study the Bible, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Study the Bible takes work. It takes work. You ought to memorize the Bible. Well, now, preacher, now you're getting, you're getting awful legalistic here. Help yourself, man. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Am I legalistic or am i am trying to help you not sin? We're doing all right this morning. Physically fit, spiritually fit. Read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible. How about meditate on the Bible? Psalm 119 says, I will meditate on thy precepts. You know why some of y'all have such a terrible day sometimes? You just think about the wrong things. What if you just get two verses maybe? One verse, write it down. Stick it in your pocket. Pull it out two, three times a day, read it. It'll encourage you. I know what I'm talking about. Meditate on that thing. Well, not only that, but mentally fit. Physically fit, spiritually fit, mentally fit. Well, now you're going to meddling, preacher. Well, Isaiah 26.3, the Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Our trouble on the road to victory, on the road to the Christian life is So many times we're just thinking about the wrong things. I mean, Paul develops a whole chapter in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to think about the right things this week, here it is. Take nothing away but this, Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 8, think on these things. Have you had troubles with your thoughts? Trouble with your thinking? You got a thinking problem? You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying it's always got to be gross and perverse and wicked and all that, but hey, don't you have a problem sometimes with thinking that everyone's against you? Don't you have a problem with when you start to think and it starts going dark? Someone say amen. You've got to learn to get out of that dark place. And sometimes you get yourself in that, in that room right there in your mind and all of a sudden this person's against you and that person's against you and then the whole world's against you and, and you don't even want to exist. You've got to get out of that place. That's why Paul said, think on these things. We've got to learn to think and God gave you that. You've got to be mentally fit, physically fit. <laughs> Do what you want with that. Spiritually fit. We're going somewhere. Notice here in verse number eight the road to victory at times is a fiery road. It's a fiery road. Bible says in verse eight, ye shall set the city on fire. That's the instructions. Lord said, You got to burn that place down. That place took 36 lives of your brethren. You got to go in there and burn it to the ground. Look at verse 19. Did they do it? Sure did. And they entered into the city and took it and hasted and set the thing on fire. You see that? I'm telling you, the road to victory, you got to learn to burn some things down. I'm not talking about physically. (laughs) Now listen, you don't make some of the blackest smoke in the world? Old rock music CDs and tapes. Who even has those anymore, amen? That makes some of the blackest smoke you've ever seen. But I don't know, maybe there's something in your house that needs to be burnt. I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit. But the, the, the road to victory can be a fiery one. The Lord might ask you to torch some things. That time you give to uh, that over there, I want it. Burn it down. Well, wait a minute, Lord. Oh, that's my sanity. Okay, you want your sanity? You want to be right with me? I'm just saying the, the road to victory is a fiery one at times. It gets too hot to handle. There are some things you might be required to toast. The fear of a, uh, the, the fire of a Christian life, you know what it does? It destroys wickedness in your own life. That's why the Lord said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, I would that thou wert cold or hot. Lord, rather you be burning up or freezing cold. And the fire of a Christian life, it takes away the dross and purifies his life for Christ. Let me give you this one. The road to victory here in verse number 13, it can appear many times to be a forsaking road. A forsaking road. You say, why? Well, in verse number 13, you've got to go through some valleys. We see that in the passage? Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Don't think for 30 seconds that the death of 36 of his soldiers was not still fresh in his mind. Joshua Joshua's human, just like you and I. He was not some uh, person that you could not relate with. I'm, I can guarantee you of that. You realize some valleys, you know what they're full of? Ezekiel 37, some valleys are full of dry bones. Sometimes you go through valleys in life, and it's just dry, spiritually dry. It's like, Lord, are you even here? Like, are you even, are you even in the same universe as I am? It's dry. There's no joy. There's no, there's no peace. There's, there's no, no fruit of the Spirit. There's no nothing. It's just dry. It's just like, man, what am I even doing here? Why, why, did you even, uh, why did you even make me, Lord? Some valleys make you feel like that. Ezekiel 37, full of dry bones. Some valleys, you know what they're full of? Joshua chapter 18, we'll preach there in a couple weeks, is full of giants. Some valleys are full of giants. Some of you might be facing one right now. David faced one in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David started his ministry in a valley, the Valley of Elah, with a giant. How about that? Nobody knew who David was. Nobody cared who David was. And yet he was there in that valley all these mighty men, scared to pieces. And he's like, I'll whip him. <laughs> and he went there in the power of God and whipped that giant with a stone, uh, with a stone and a sling. Some valleys are full of giants. You know, over there in Song of Solomon chapter 6, you can read that later this afternoon, some valleys are a good place to grow. We laugh and joke about it as Bible believers, but that passage over there in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, Solomon says, I went down to the valley of fruits and nuts. No, it's not San Francisco, but maybe close. Amen. But some valleys are a place where you can actually grow and, and get fed. You see, every time we go through a valley, we're like, oh, stop, oh, I don't want the hard time, but maybe God put you in that thing so you could grow. One preacher preached uh, back there in Jacksonville. It is an honor. And you know what? I got to thinking about these valleys. It's an honor that the Lord would count me faithful enough to go through a valley. It's an honor. Instead of screaming, let me go, let me go, quit it, quit it, bring me out, I want the mountaintop, I want the mountaintop. It's just an honor to be in this valley, Lord. And maybe some of the valleys I can get a bite to eat. Maybe some valleys I can plant some things that will grow. That's Song of Solomon chapter six. Well, we got to go on. That road to valley can be a forsaking road. Not only this, but look here in verse 18. It, it can be a fortifying road. We're almost done here. The Bible says in verse 18, the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thine hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. Verse 26. For Joshua drew not his hand back. Wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. You know why Joshua held that spear up, verse 18? God told him to. Pretty good reason, ain't it? I don't know if you can see the picture of the battle or not, but he's got the troops put where he needs to be, and Joshua's in a higher position. And, and then the sign is when I hold that spear up, you get killing, and you get to fighting. And notice there, he holds that spear up because the Lord told him to. And I want you to realize this, that you have within your lap something like a sword. Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Have you been taught this book, Christian? Has someone given their time and maybe given parts of their life to help you learn this book? Then you ought to hold it up. You ought to hold it up over your preferences, over your opinions, and over... Uh, your political rants and raids and all that stuff, you ought to hold this book up, holding forth the word of life. Bible says there in Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life. Well, Joshua held that spear up not only because God told him, but in verse uh, uh, 26 there, he held that spear up so others could be victorious. I want you to think about that for a second. Now, I'm not saying this to toot my horn, but you know why I hold this book up? Because God told me to. You know why I hold this book up? Because it's a benefit for you. I don't hold this book up for myself. I hold this book up because God said you get in there and you preach and you study and you do everything you can to feed the flock that's among you and don't worry about whether they come or not. Just when they walk through the door, be ready to get out the food. Amen. 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 That's good. And I do it for you. Amen. And if God called you to preach, you'd do it for me. Yes, sir. But you do it so other peoples can be victorious. So other people can be victorious. Well, we're coming on the backside of this thing. Two to go. Can you stay with me just a minute? The road to victory in verse 29 requires funerals. There are some things that have to die in the Christian's life on the way to victory. Maybe it's friendships. Friendships with the world. Friendships with your flesh. Maybe some finances have to die. Maybe some spiritual foes have to die. How about this one? The road to victory requires my fervency in worship in verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel. See that? You know what the road to victory requires? My fervency and my worship of God. God instructed him. He was obedient. He did what God said. God gave the victory. He's building an altar and he's worshiping God. You and I have to get regular with our worshiping of God. You say, what is worshiping? That's between you and him personally. You can worship God in spirit. You can worship God in truth. We're worshiping God in truth right now. But it requires fervency in worship. Verse 30, Then Joshua built an altar of the Lord God of Israel. Notice in verse 30, this altar was built the way the old preacher said to do it. You know what Joshua knew? His way wasn't going to work. You know what I know as a young, almost 50-year-old preacher? My way ain't going to work. It's going to take the old paths. It's going to take the way of the old preacher. Notice that uh, not only that, but notice it took time and specific effort in 31. And notice that it became a place of sacrifice in verse 31. When you worship God, it's not just about a warm, fuzzy feeling. And that's where people get messed up with it. People are like, oh, I worship God. It feels so good. It, is feel, it does feel good. It does feel good to get along with God and just pour your heart out to Him and tell Him you love Him in spirit and truth and say, Lord, I love you for being holy. I love you for not sending me to hell. and Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for shedding your blood. It does feel good. But you know what? In time, that thing culminates in a sacrifice. And if you continue your fervency of worship with God, He's going to ask you for something. You say, what's he going to ask you? I don't know. What's most valuable to you? Only you know that. Finally, here, the road to victory requires my utmost attention to the faithful word. In verses 32 to 35, I'll just say this and I'll close. In verse 32, I want you to notice this about Joshua. He wrote it out personally. Man, that is one of the strangest passages in the Bible. He wins a battle. He's given the victory. He writes out, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He writes it out, start to finish. Don't tell me that ain't weird, man. That tells you how important he thinks the Word of God is. He wrote it out personally in verse 32. He read it publicly in verse 34. By the way, that'll take at least 14 hours to read Genesis through Deuteronomy. I know most of you know this, but when we leave, we turn on the Englishman. Alexander Scorby, and that Bible is read within the walls of these church the entire time we're gone. Why? You are clean through the word which I've spoken you. The entire time you're gone, the word of God is read out loud through the speakers of this church. He says it's kind of superstitious. No, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to walk in and hear in the beginning, you know, in that you know, deep English accent. I like that stuff. That's a blessing. He wrote it out personally in verse 32. He read it publicly in verse 34, and he ensured that others would profit from it in verse 35. Christian, you've been given the victory. We're on the road to victory. Let me encourage you this morning as someone comes to the piano or the organ or however they're going to do that thing, stay on the right road. Stay where God wants you. I want you to ask yourself this morning as we begin the invitation, just a general invitation to come talk to the Lord. If he's speaking to you, why don't you just come talk to him? and say, Lord, am I on the right road? And if you know you're on the right road, say, Lord, will you help me stay on the right road? Because it always leads out at the right place. As she begins to play, why don't you just bow your head and pray.